Well, welcome once again, everybody. Glad that you're here. Welcome to Mountain Park. My name is Alan, and uh, we are in this series called The Kingdom, and I want to talk about that uh, in just a minute. Uh, Greg, in the, in the video that we, uh, uh, Greg is our outreach pastor, in the video that we just saw, he, uh, he talked about being an ambassador to different parts of the world, that when we go to Honduras, that we are ambassadors for Jesus. When we go to Rocky Point, we are an ambassador. Have you ever been an ambassador uh, for an organization? Perhaps when you were in school, maybe in high school, you were on a sport team uh, and you traveled to another part of the country or another part of the world. Maybe you were an ambassador as, uh, as a band member. Your band got to have those fancy shirts or those fancy jackets, and so you all looked so spiffy, and you were an ambassador for your school. Or maybe that's part of your work experience, that you... Uh, travel around and you represent a product or you represent your company. And so you're an ambassador for your company. Whenever we travel uh, anywhere, really, we are, a, a, we are an, a, a, an ambassador for the United States. If we go overseas, if we go to other countries, you always are an ambassador for your country, which, which is why oftentimes the U.S. has such a bad reputation around the world. <laughs> yeah. But we, we represent the United States. So when you are uh, an ambassador for your school or for your workplace or for your country, how well do you do that job? How good of an ambassador are you? When you walk into a room or a restaurant or when you go to the, the table where everyone has gathered and you're representing something else, when you walk into that room, how do people respond? In general, do people say, ah, I'm glad she's here. I'm glad he's here. Or in general, when you walk into a room, do people look the other way? and pull out their phones. Just kind of, what happens when you walk into a room? We're talking about uh, the kingdom. And if we are a follower of Jesus, which means if, if we would call ourselves a Christian, we are following Jesus as Lord, then we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We are ambassadors of that Jesus. So what we're talking about this morning is what are the expectations from Jesus in terms of that role. If you are an ambassador for him, what expectation does he have on us? That's what we're talking about here today. Would you bow your heads uh, with me one more time? God, I'm so thankful for the kingdom. We want to see a glimpse of it here today. We pray in your son's name. Amen. So this series is, uh, as we've said, it's called The Kingdom, and we're walking through this. Uh, we're walking through uh, what, this, what this looks like. We're walking through the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Matthew talks a lot about the concept of the kingdom, and so there's a lot for us to draw from. As we're walking through Matthew, we're also walking through the journals that we uh, began last week. Hopefully some of you had an opportunity to work through your journals every day this week. It's just a, a way to keep the message going from Sunday to Sunday. If you have not picked up a journal, it's not too late. You just missed one week, and so you can jump right in. We have six more weeks to go here in this, in this series. And so they're $5 in the lobby, uh, just covers the cost of printing. We'd uh, love to make those available to you. If you are a guest with us, if someone has brought you or you've stumbled into Mountain Park here today, a guest with us, even if you're just visiting one time, we'd love to give you one of those journals as a gift. Just fill out the communication card and you can exchange it for a journal in the lobby. We'd love to do that with you. 
But uh, this, this journey is walking through this concept of the kingdom, and I talked about it last week, but for us here as Americans, uh, uh, it is, well, I'm not actually American. I'm a North American. I'm Canadian. But, but uh, as, as Americans and American residents, um, uh, this, this whole concept of the kingdom is a stretch for us. Because we just don't think that way. We just don't think in terms of kings and, and monarchs and, and queens and, uh, and kingdoms in this way. When you look up at this, this graphic, this graphic of the crown, nobody wears a crown anymore. I mean, Trump is who he is, but he doesn't wear a crown. That whole concept of the crown is just a, a very foreign uh, deal for us. So it's a stretch for us to embrace this whole concept of a kingdom, so it's important for us to understand what do we mean by kingdom. A kingdom means, the kingdom means that we are living life with Jesus as our king. It means we're living life with Jesus on the throne. If anything else, if anyone else is on that throne, that's outside of the kingdom that we're talking about in this series. So if you just look at life, you look at your own life, you look at the way life works, and your conclusion is there's no such throne. There's no such kingdom. There's no such throne. That's, I'm, that just doesn't connect with you. That's outside of the kingdom that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. If you uh, kind of look at the whole thing and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. I am more used to the American system of leadership and government, and so I'm comfortable with the concept of a, of a republic. So you have kind of a spiritual republic where, um, where every, it's, the power is with the people. That's outside of the kingdom. If you have anything else on that throne, whether it's money or security or success, or whatever your journey might be, any other thing that we choose to put on that throne and say, that's what life is all about, that's what I'm going after, that's what's in charge, that's the focus of everything, anything else on that throne is outside of the kingdom. If we put ourselves on that throne, which is a very natural thing to do, just the whole idea of I'm in charge of my life, nobody else, no other thing is in charge, I'm in charge. I manage my own future. I manage my own fate, etc. It's a very natural place to land, but that is outside of the kingdom because the kingdom means that Jesus and Jesus alone is king. Jesus is on that throne. What we're doing this morning is we're continuing with the book of Matthew and we're entering into a section of that book that's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beloved, world-changing section of Scripture, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Essentially, in the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded by Matthew, this whole sermon, which many, of, many parts of the sermon you are very familiar with, it's where we find the Lord's prayers, a number of things that we're very familiar with in the Sermon on the Mount. Essentially, Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's three chapters just, just saying, if you want to be a citizen, if you want to have Jesus as, as king of your life, this is what it looks like. This is how you live. This, this is, Jesus gives clear expectations of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. You, you can't be successful in training or preparing for something if you don't know what it is you're training and preparing for. You can't teach somebody how to play hockey 
If you don't know how to play hockey, if you don't know what it looks like to be a good hockey player, we have to have a picture of what success looks like for us to be able to achieve it, for us to be able to move towards that. And Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this is what it looks like. And he gives us a a picture that we're going to look at today, just really a word. He says in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. I'm going to look at the rest of the verse in just a little bit. But I just want to look at this word salt, first of all. Salt kind of has a, it's, it's an adversary in life right now. I mean, all the health experts say, stay away from salt. Salt is bad. Get, don't, get, don't get too much sodium. You're salt-free, salt-free, salt. Don't put too much salt on your French fries. They, it just kind of be careful. And one pack is okay, but four packs on your French fries is not good. And so salt, bad, 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 bad. But you got to understand, in this world at this time, when Jesus wrote this, salt was incredibly valuable. It was incredibly precious. It was actually referred to at one point in human history, it was referred to as white gold. A few other things have been referred to as white gold, but but, uh, back then, salt was white gold. It was a valuable, important um, uh, compound. And and the main reason that it was so valuable is for the preservation of food. They, of course, did not have refrigerators, and so they needed to take care of their food, their meat, so that it would last a longer period of time. They needed to be able to preserve food so they could survive in the, in the winters. And, or if they were taking a long trip and they had to bring their food with them, they, had, they couldn't kind of hunt as a part of that trip, and so they needed to bring food with them in order to take these long voyages. So salt was very valuable because it could only... Um, uh, be extracted from certain parts of the world, and then it was expensive to ship it to other parts of the world. So salt became very valuable. Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. That we get the word salary from Roman soldiers being paid in the form of salt. Sal is the root word of the, of the word salt. And so salary comes from that. It's also where we get the concept of you're not worth your weight in salt. You ever heard that? And that whole idea is that is, here's how much you're worth based on what you did, but you know what? You're not quite worth that much. And so salt was a, was a very valuable thing. It was precious. It was desirable. And it still is. Mmm, we like salt. Salt does magical things to food. Just think about the history of and our use and enjoyment of caramel. Or, if you'd like, caramel, if you prefer to pronounce the word incorrectly. (laughs) Just think about the the, the history of, of caramel. Here was a struggling flavor that just 10 years ago, it was, it was dropping off with little interest until it became friends with salt. The New York Times actually did an article about this that around 2008, this combination of salt and caramel has been popular in French cuisine for quite some time, but in our culture, it hasn't really connected. You know, you, you go out and, and if you bought caramel ice cream, I love ice cream, but if it was caramel ice cream, that would be sort of meh. Yeah, that's kind of, that's what my dad would eat. 
I mean, that's the flavor my dad would have. That, that would be one of the flavors at McDonald's. You know, you get the 99-cent ice cream thing. You get the glob of chocolate or the glob of caramel or whatever. And it's fine. But, but if the package says salted caramel flavored ice cream, Welcome to Exotica. I mean, it's a totally different experience. And the same thing with, with little uh, chocolate-covered caramels. You know, all sorts of companies create chocolate-covered caramels, and you can get, oh, that's yummy. It's a chocolate-covered caramel, whatever. Here, you want one or whatever. But if it's set up on a tray and it has a little bit of sea salt on top of it, and you go, oh, I'll pay $13 for one little chocolate. It's just magical. What happens when these two worlds collide? Salt is magical. We have an expression here in our culture that says, that says you know, that, that person refers to somebody in a very positive way, and we say, they are the salt of the earth. You ever, you ever use that expression? Or It's a very positive expression, and it, and it specifically, literally, absolutely comes from Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. It's the only place this comes from. There's no question about it. To say someone is the salt of the earth, it means, if you look it up on, on definitions, it means that they are the very best that society has to offer. Salt of the earth kind of person. The very best that society has to offer. So, are you salty? Are you salty? When you walk into a room, are you noticeably different because, of, because you are part of the kingdom, because Jesus is the Lord of your life? Do you respond differently to circumstances than other people respond to? Do you respond differently to stress? Do you respond differently to temptation? Do you respond differently to gossip and what's happening or whatever? Are you salty? Are you noticeably different? There's a, a general saltiness that we get to experience if we choose Jesus as Lord. And Paul at one point refers to that. Uh, there's a number of different times where that general saltiness is referred to. It's about just the transformation that happens within us. At one point, Paul refers to it as the fruit of the Spirit. That the general saltiness is that, that we get to walk around with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And these, these fruit of the Spirit, they grow in us if we allow Jesus to be the Lord of our life. There's this general saltiness across the board. But then there's also a unique saltiness, that you are salty in a unique way because of something you bring that God has put into you that is designed around you. Your particular kind of wit maybe is what makes you salty. And it's just interesting, it's just quirky, it's just kind of weird. People think you're weird, but God said, no, he's salty. Maybe it is your, uh, a particular skill you have, just an ability for you to think differently than other people and a particular passion that you have. Maybe it has to do with your, with your story with your history, that the circumstances of your life that have brought you to where you are, that's a unique story, and it has brought you, made you in a position where you can have access to people that other people can't have access to because you have a unique saltiness to you. There's a general saltiness, and there's a unique saltiness. But it's important for us to remember, in terms of being salt of the earth, that it's not about certain personalities. 
It's not about, you know, we all have different personalities, and so there are some people who are extroverted and some people who are introverted in the same way that there are some people who are salty and some people who are not salty. That is not the case. It's not that certain kinds of people are salty and certain kinds of people are not salty. It's not that certain people are gregarious and then you have other people who are quiet so they're not salty. That's not what it is. Have you ever met someone or known someone or done life with someone who is a follower of Christ but is just naturally quiet, yet that person has a tremendously positive influence on others? You ever known anybody like that? They're, they're, they're not gregarious, but they're incredibly salty in a unique way. I know those people are here. You're in this room. I'm not going to point you out because you'd rather not be pointed out because you're more naturally quiet. Saltiness is not a certain personality. It's, it's what happens in us when we allow Jesus to be on the throne, when Jesus is king. When we are citizens of the kingdom, we are salt of the earth. It's not about personality. Look at the, the disciples of Jesus. There were 12 guys that Jesus had identified. And they were not extraordinary men. They were just regular guys. They were uh, 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 young and they were untrained and Jesus had pulled them aside. They were not proven leaders in the world. And Jesus uh, essentially was saying, with these 12 guys, I'm gonna change the world. How is that group of people going to impact Remember this culture 2,000 years ago. How are they going to have an impact on the mighty Roman Empire? How is that possible? I mean, you talk about an underdog story. We love David and Goliath. Great underdog story. That's child's play compared to these 12 disciples who went after, who transformed, who changed the untouchable, mighty Roman Empire. The, the sun doesn't set on the Roman Empire. This is massive thing, untouchable. And this group of 12, Jesus used to have a major impact on transforming that part of the world. Not because they had a certain personality, but because Jesus taught them what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Because Jesus met with these 12. They, they were 12, and then they went down to 11 because of Judas, and then they brought someone in, and so they went back to 12. So we can still call them the 12. They were 12, and Jesus poured into them a different way of doing life through the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings, he says, you are going to treat people differently. You are going to love one another. You are going to be noticeably different. You are the salt of the earth. Being salt of the earth is not limited to personality. It's not that some people are, some people aren't. All of us, if we choose to follow Jesus, we are the salt of the earth. So, what makes you salty? Did you know that salsa? This is salt. You might not know it. That was salsa. That was what that was. The salsa, the word salsa comes from the same root word of salt. It's just kind of, it's got a spice to it. It's got a snap to it. What makes you salty? What makes you salty? I want to go back to our verse 13 where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled 
underfoot. Some pretty aggressive language here. Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm serious. You, you need to be salt of the earth. This is not an optional thing. It's not some are salty and some are not. It's saying if you are a citizen of the kingdom, this is who you are. And if not, if you're, if you're not salt of the earth, then you might as well just be sand in, in, in the palm that you can just kind of toss on the ground and kind of mix with the rest of the dirt, rest of the other sand. If you're not standing out, if you're no different in terms of how you respond to the circumstances of life, if you don't act different, if you don't say different things, do different things because you are a citizen of the kingdom, then you've lost your saltiness. And you might as well just be tossed to the ground, trampled underfoot. This is a big deal. And it's not an option. So when you walk into a room, when you walk into a room at, at home, at work, with your friends, what flavor are you? What do you bring into that? What flavor are you? Are you salty? Are you salty? Are you, are you kind? Are you generous? Are you thoughtful? Do you exude the joy of the Lord? Because you've just, you've come into that. The people are glad you are there. Last year, we walked through the book of Colossians. And in chapter four of that book, Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with what? Salt. Let your conversations be seasoned with salt. In other words, when you walk into a room, can you be the one who perhaps notices someone who is, who is not doing well in the room and go over and sit by them? When you walk into a room, can you be the one who listens instead of just comes in and says, hey, everybody sit down, I got stories to tell. Can you be the one to ask great questions to help draw things out of other people? That's salt. That's, that's conversations being full of grace, seasoned with salt. Or when you walk into a room, are you a different flavor? Are you perhaps bland? When you walk into a room, does it just, does it just have no effect? Do you, do, you, do you find yourself more often than you wish just kind of thinking, I'm tired. I don't, I don't feel well. I don't feel like connecting. I don't feel like engaging. I don't feel like, I just don't feel like representing Jesus. Jesus has a strong challenge for that. You are the salt of the earth. Or perhaps even worse, when you walk into a room, are you bitter? So salty is positive, bland is sort of neutral, and bitter is negative. Bitter is kind of an odd flavor for us in our culture here right now because there's, uh, it, it, there's a lot of interest in the health benefits of foods that taste bitter. So, hmm, going to enjoy my big salad. Can I please have some more kale and arugula poured into the salad? Because I want to see what I can put in this bowl to make it taste disgusting. I want to add whatever I can to make it taste as bad as possible. We just, we just whatever health benefits there might be from, uh, from bitter foods or whatever, and yes, I'm sure there are, it's still bitter. Bitter is still bitter. We use the phrase, we say, I have a bitter taste in my mouth. That phrase doesn't mean, mmm, can I have some more? That that phrase, it's just, bitter is still bitter. There's a, there's a negative piece to that. And so when you walk into a room, are you bitter? Do you bring a bad taste into people's mouths? 
When you walk in a room, do you, do you bring anger and frustration? And your first thought is to complain about the traffic and complain about the parking and da 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 Do you bring arrogance? Everybody sit down, listen to me. I'm in charge. What, what flavor do you bring when you walk into the room? Uh, for me, there are uh, one of two reasons that I typically have more of a bitter flavor. As I kind of think through, when do I typically enter a room with more of a bitter flavor? And, and, and it, it, it involves one of two different uh, reasons. The first reason is time. That if I feel like my time has been wasted, if somebody's late, and then, you know, that's kind of, we're getting started, and the person was already late, and we've, we've already wasted, we've all been waiting, and someone comes in late, and, and there's a bitterness that grows in me. If I feel like my time has been wasted, and uh, I got a lot to grow on in there, because if I'm the one who's late, then I had a great reason, but if somebody else is late, there's a bitterness, so I got lots to work on there, but that's a place where I kind of grow in some bit, and then the other area where I seem to uh, have some bitterness is with money, so it's time and money. And so it doesn't even have to be big money issues, big cost issues, just even so often it's just small stuff. Just this week I went to Noodles & Co. up on Ray Road, and uh, it's my wife's favorite restaurant, and sorry, it's my daughter's favorite restaurant, and, and uh, my wife's got, you know, way higher than that, but, but it's, my, it's my daughter's favorite restaurant. Whenever there's a, hey, where do you want to go? My daughter always says, yes, you want to go to Noodles & Co., Noodles & Co., and so uh, this week, my wife and my 13-year-old daughter and I went to Noodles & Co., and we ordered, and then at the end, the, the, the sweet young lady behind the counter said, have you signed up for our rewards program? And I said, no, thank you, no thanks. And she said, well, all it takes is your phone number and I can set you up and you can collect rewards so you can save money here at Noodles & Co. And, and so I said, I said, because um, I've actually tried it. I've tried, I do, if I frequent a restaurant, I'm gonna try out their rewards system or whatever, I, I can do that. And so I just said, no, uh, I've tried it. Your reward system here is terrible. And, uh, and my 13-year-old daughter said, as she said many times right now, it's kind of a frequent thing, she says, Dad, that's the thing, dad, with four syllables. And so, and so she, says this, she says this to me, and then I, I just kind of whatever, I sat down, and she said, why do you have to be so mean? Why, why couldn't you have just said, no, thank you, but you've got to kind of share your opinion about everything? And so just kind of this, why, why are you bitter? Why did it come out that way? Dad, that's some of the stuff that I'm working on in terms of, what, in what situations do I bring bitterness rather than something positive and, 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 and attractive, you know, in settings? What about you? When do you tend to lose your saltiness? Time, money is for me. Is that similar to you? What, in what situations, circumstances, maybe it's with a certain person. You just can't bring saltiness into, into certain conversations. When do you tend to lose your saltiness. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. It is not an option for us to say, well, I'm just bitter. I'm just a bitter person. That's who I am. That's what I bring to the table. If you have, are living life with Jesus on the throne, that's not an option. It's not an option to just say, well, I'm just bland. I'm 
uninteresting, I'm unimportant, I'm Eeyore, I guess my tail is okay, I'm kind of attached to it, you know, whatever your response might be. That's not, that's not an option. That, that, that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. In the verses that precede verse 13, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there's this section that um, most refer to as the Beatitudes. It's this section, it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus provides eight different circumstances that are typically not salty. They're not happy, joy circumstances. Jesus uh, starts off with eight circumstances and says, if Jesus is on the throne of your life, then even in those circumstances, you are blessed. He begins, verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. What he means there is that regardless of your circumstances, whatever you bring into the room, whatever is going on, no matter how hard this year has been, you are without excuse in terms of being blessed, in terms of being the salt of the earth. If you are a follower of Christ, then you have tasted grace. You have experienced forgiveness in your life. If you are a follower of Christ, then you understand that hope is not just wishful thinking, but hope is a promise from the creator of the universe. Hope is a promise that he would be with us here, that there's an eternity that we get to spend with him, a promise from the one who carved out the Grand Canyon. Hope is not just wishful thinking. If Jesus is on the throne of your life, you and I are without excuse. We are supposed to be a blessing when we walk into a room, not a pain in the arugula. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That, that when we walk into a room, people should say, I'm glad you're here. When we walk into a room, people should say, I'm glad she's here. I'm glad he's here. Things are better because that person is here, because you have walked into that room. When you walk into a room, people shouldn't be more afraid when you walk into a room, people shouldn't be more uh, judged. They shouldn't have this feeling of, of being judged because somebody is, is better or more important or thinks that they're better. That's not what should happen when we walk into a room. That's not the salt of the earth. When we walk into a room, people shouldn't roll their eyes because, oh, here comes preachy Paul or whatever. When we walk into a room, people, people should say, I'm glad you're here. You're salt. You're salt, and I'm glad you're here. If you're a follower of Christ, 
then Jesus is on the throne and you represent Jesus wherever you go. You are salt of the earth. You are a valuable, precious, desirable salt of the earth. Before I, I want to uh, pray and then, and then let you guys go, but before I do that, I just want to remind you of uh, what I talked about last week. We looked at Matthew chapter 4, and there was this phrase that Jesus says. He says, um, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you were here last week, do you remember what the word repent means? It's this word I put on the screen, metanoia, that the word literally means change mind. It means change our thinking. When we are citizens of the kingdom, we change our thinking. We think differently about circumstances of life. Perhaps we can think differently about the effect we have on others when we walk into the room. They know we're a follower of Christ. They, they know because of our stickers on our car or whatever the situation might be. And so we walk into the room. We represent Jesus. Perhaps we can think differently about our bad days, about the impact of our bad days on other people. We all have bad days. We have bad circumstances. We do have bad traffic on the way to that meeting, whatever. We all have bad days. Perhaps we can think differently. We can repent about how we're representing Jesus when we walk into the room. Perhaps we can be a little less bitter, a little less bland, and a little more spicy. Maybe. Okay. Let me pray with you, and then uh, we'll let you go. Father in heaven, I, I thank you once again that we get to be part of the kingdom. I pray that you would, uh, because you've created us uniquely and you've created a, spice, a saltiness that is unique in each one of us, that we would get a clear picture of, of what our saltiness is. God, that we, get, we would get a clear picture of, of, of us not trying to pretend we're something that, are not, that we're not, but that we would acknowledge that you are on the throne as, as a result. We can be the salt of the earth. God, as we enter into to, to, to our home this afternoon, this week, would you help us to be salt of the earth? As we enter into work and those other relationships, would you help us to be salt of the earth? Would you help us to represent you well? We want to make you proud of us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.